Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today I am very excited to bring you a podcast with Liz Farrow. Liz is the CEO and founder of Girls With Soul. That's S-O-L-E. It's a play on words uh, because this is a running nonprofit. That is uh, helping girls from the ages of 9 to 18 overcome abuse and any hardship that they've uh, undergone in their life. And this is a story that has actually been chronicled by the USA Today and the Today Show. But here on the Rambling Runner podcast, we take a deep dive not only into the organization, but Liz's background as well. Uh, She is someone who was abused at age 8, was a foster kid before that. So this is... uh, something that not only is near and dear to her heart, but also touches on her background as well. And since that time, she has become one heck of a runner, as you'll hear on this podcast. She is just full of energy, and she has really um, put that energy into running. She has run 50 marathons in 50 different states. She has run on the Great Wall of China. She has done four Ironman triathlons, uh, to say nothing of all the work she does, for Girls with Soul. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I hope you check out Girls with Soul. It really is a fantastic organization. And on top of that, I do want to say thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast regularly. I'm up to 17 reviews on uh, on Apple Podcast, and that's great. So thank you so much for all of those reviews. They've all been positive, which, which is certainly a good thing. Um, but if you have any suggestions, I'd love to hear that as well. You can always uh, contact me. Um, either on Instagram at rambling underscore runner or on our Facebook fan page, the rambling runner podcast. Uh, you can also get more info and contact, um, you know, info and content on that website. Uh, but with that said enough about me, I want to talk about Liz. She's fantastic. I hope you enjoyed this episode with her and happy running. Hello. Welcome to the Rumbling Runner podcast. Thank you for joining me. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, Liz. I've wanted to speak to you uh, for a while, and I'm glad that we're able to do this. Um, I'm so fascinated not only with your running background and just your background in general, but your fabulous organization and all of the things um, that you do uh, for kids in the uh, in the Ohio area. But before we get into it, you mind if I just do a little quick little bio for you from your website? Uh, no, not at all. Oh, all right, so it, I guess <laughs> there you go. You can tell me if I got this wrong. So Liz has completed seventy different marathons, two fifty k ultras, five Ironman triathlons, and countless other road races and triathlons. Uh, the empowerment. Um, gained from sports led her to found the nonprofit organization Girls with Soul. That's S O L E, which has received extensive national attention. Liz has completed 26.2 marathon in all 50 states and on the Great Wall of China in awareness and to raise funds for Girls with Soul. Well, I'll tell you, from a running background perspective, you certainly have the chops. My goodness, Liz. <laughs> It helps to be a little bit crazy. I think that goes a far away, but thank you. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you what. I don't know about the crazy part, but your energy level 
is something that I, I swear, if you could just bottle it and sell that, I think you wouldn't even need to raise, you don't even need to run to raise funds for your organization. Your energy level, I think itself could, uh, could probably bring in millions for the, for the girls of Ohio. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, um, I've been told that before, definitely. And actually the cool thing is, and this is what keeps me going is the girls that I work with, they, they actually notice it and want to find out how I'm so energetic. And I've had a few girls ask me if I was on crack, which I take as a compliment because it's hilarious, but um, I'm obviously really high energy and they're not used to seeing that. They're not used to positive high energy people around them. So I, I mean, I clear up the fact that it isn't crack induced. It's, um, you know, something that's achievable to them in a healthy way. And that's the whole point of Girls with Soul. There you go. So Girls with Soul. So you're the CEO. You're the founder of the organization where you use free fitness and wellness programs to empower the minds, bodies, and souls of girls who are at risk or have experienced abuse. So I think a lot of different directions here. I just want to start off just with your running background. When did you really get serious about running? Um, Well, it first started because I was too high energy as a kid. Uh, my parents tried to wear me out basically. So they would bring me to a track and my dad would jog around the track back in the seventies when they first coined the phrase jogging. Um, I don't know that I was super serious back then, but I was already on the path of trying to see how far I could go. Um, it was definitely a huge part of, you know, spending time with my dad there, but also seeing, well, I, I ran three times around this time. And then next time I tried to go four or five times around and just keep pushing it and pushing it. But the serious part probably didn't happen until, I mean, if you're referring to serious, depends on what you consider serious. Cause I ran track in high school and things yeah. like that. But um, I got real serious in my twenties when I did my first marathon. And then almost a year later I did my first Ironman and it just kind of like snowballed out of control from there. I got pretty serious. <laughs> See, see, a lot of people have done, you know, the sports in high school, you know, they're active, you know, whether it's track or soccer, you know, in my case, basketball. Um, So when you were, when you went from just being a teenager, which, you know, a lot of teenagers are, and then you're in your 20s, what was the impetus behind um, staying with running and kind of extending, uh, extending yourself in that way versus other areas which you could have gotten involved in? Uh, Well, it definitely... I, it goes without saying it, it was what kept me grounded and kept me moving forward in a positive way. Cause I, I had a lot of really dark, um, times in my life when I was young. And when I got real serious with running, I don't think it was an accident or a coincidence by any stretch, um, that it was during that time. Cause it literally saved my life and, um, kept me healthy and just feeling better about myself when I wanted to end things honestly and with that in mind you know you you okay we're the headphone glitch liz thank you so much for bearing with me i really appreciate it ah it's okay no problem matt all right. So we left off. We were talking about how you went from you know, just being an active teenager and active in your 20s um, to then all of a sudden kicking it up to the marathon, the Ironman triathlon level, which is a huge jump, um, you know, both in terms of competitions and just 
the training necessary to do them. So for you, what, what instigated that, that drastic increase? Um, I guess I just, um, had a combination of always wanting to see how far I could push myself. Um, it's always sort of been in me to, to do that. Um, unfortunately at some points in my life, I did it in a negative way. <laughs> uh, but now I use my powers for good instead of evil. So I try to do it in a positive ways only at this point in my life. But in my twenties, um, I just, uh, really felt that the only thing that kept me going that was sort of like holding me back by the scruff, I guess I should say, um, keeping me healthy was to do um, ultra distance and just put my energies in a positive place. And for me, that was running, biking and swimming, mostly running is my favorite. And then swimming, I swam my entire life. I was competitive swimmer from I don't know, six years old up through my first two years of college. And then I transferred schools. Um, so I didn't swim my second two years. But um, I guess cycling was just something I figured, hey, anyone can ride a bike. <laughs> I realized there was a lot of, you know, like mechanical and um, just uh, things that go into it that isn't all that easy. But in my mind, I was like, oh, anyone can do that. But right, no, I, right. I, I, it sounds terrible. Um, I'm not dissing cycling by any stretch because it's a difficult sport, but more on the side of being able to take up triathlon. You have a swimming background and a running background is a lot easier than, you know, somebody who isn't a swimmer, but, you know, just needs to learn how to ride a bike. You can, you can definitely learn that easier than swimming, but yeah. So it just was something that saved me and, um, I, because I had trauma and just PTSD and things like that in my, in my life as a kid, um, it started to kind of snowball out of control and that happened at the most in my life, I guess, in my twenties. And that's probably not an accident that that's when I pumped up my, uh, my running and my mileage <laughs> and I'm still here. So I guess I did the right thing. There you go. I mean, and you've been you've been very open about your childhood. You know, you've written a book about it, um, mm -hmm. Finish Line Feeling. You've been very open about it in terms of being, you know, interviews and your speaking engagements about how when you you know you were you know, you were a foster child, then you were adopted, and then you were uh, sexually abused when you were eight years old. For you, do you feel like the your ultra distance endurance sports, whether it was running? swimming or uh, biking or just the culmination of all of them in terms of the triathlon. Do you feel like that helped you mentally and emotionally? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Probably more so um, mentally and emotionally than physically. Um, the, I almost feel like the physical um, parts were just a byproduct that were nice. Um, you know, being in shape is nice, but the, the mental and um, emotional part was definitely what saved me as far as, um, just wanting to continue. And I just knew that, I guess I was put on this planet. I didn't know it at the time when I was going through it, um, obviously, but the things that I did endure as a kid, um, were all for a reason. And I can look at that now and know that those reasons are so that I can take all the things that I learned from being emotionally strong and having inner strength and resilience um, because of running, um, and I can teach those 
skills and tools to other people who might not put those things together on their own. It's definitely a mind, body, soul connection. And that's why it's called girls with soul. And the kids that I serve wouldn't have that connection introduced to them without girls with soul. So I know now why I was meant to be here and keep moving forward. Right. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful story. What what you've been able to do with girls with soul and, and in regards to your own, you know, accomplishments as from an athletic perspective, when you were going through that in terms of, all right, this, the athletic piece is really helping you mentally and emotionally in what way? Like, was it giving you meaning? Was it like a catharsis? Was it just kind of like burning through the pain? What, what about it was, um, has such a positive effect on you in your life? I think it's kind of all of the above, but I, there's something super powerful uh, about not knowing or not believing that maybe you could do something, not thinking um, that it's within your reach and then actually achieving it. And so clearly, you know, whether it's a mileage or a specific race, some people are afraid of half marathon, you know, that maybe they're a 10 k and they want to bump, bump it up and it just seems so out of reach until you actually do it. And then it's just that amazing sense of accomplishment that can make you feel like you can parlay it into every aspect of your life. Well, shit, I did that. I can definitely do this. Um, and there's something very powerful about that, that um, it's not rocket science, but still so impactful. So it's definitely, it was, um, you know, therapeutic for me to be pounding out the pain. It was something that I needed to do just to sort of feel my Zen. I'm not, um, I definitely bring yoga to the girls that I work with and girls with soul, because I, I think it's an important piece that, again, I like to introduce them to things that maybe they wouldn't know, um, that they, you know, can gain positive emotions from or good experiences. But, um, I, for me, like, because I'm such a spaz and a high energy person, I have a hard time in yoga. (laughs) Um, that running is my yoga. That's my Zen. So I have that sort of that uh, feeling where I'm powerful and peaceful all at once. And it's just an amazing feeling that I can't get from anything else. And running is the only thing that I can feel that with. But um, so, yeah, I think running definitely brought me the peace and the power um, and just knowing that I could achieve something and feel good about myself instead of hating myself. When you have problems with trauma or um, especially if it's sexual abuse, a lot of times you end up hating your body. Um, but running and achieving and makes the focus on what you can do and not what it looks like, or maybe what you think other people think it looks like. Um, and that's a great thing to be able to focus on, um, your strength and your power and not what it, you know, what you look like in your jeans or whatever. Um, so yeah, it kind of did all of that for me. And I, I really just feel that girls in general, whether they've experienced trauma or not, could use that lesson. I think women um, could have ex- experienced these feelings. And that's why running has taken off the way it has. I mean, just think about even just in the last maybe what, five to 10 years, how many more runners and female runners. I mean, it's huge now, the, the women's running community didn't used to be. So obviously there's something right. to it. <laughs> no, that's for sure. You're right. It, it, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those sports that because it's so individualistic in terms of how you go through it, that it can have so many different effects depending on the individual 
um, who's really who's really working hard at it. Uh, and with that in mind, what in that period of your life, what was the biggest achievement that you had that when you look back on it, you say like that was a tipping point or that was a time where I said, hey, like, all right, this is, you know, this accomplishment not only was great in the moment when I crossed the finish line, but had almost like a, a cathartic effect on your life and you viewed it as a tipping point. Um, I definitely know what it is, but I wanted to add something really quick to the fact that um, it is such an individualized sport um, that, you know, is such an amazing um, feeling to get when you're out there achieving your goals. But then if you think about it too, like the fact that it's such a camaraderie sport as well, that it becomes a community. Mm. It's almost like we are, it's just like a tight knit group that you can't explain that feeling of community to anybody unless they're a runner. They like wouldn't get it because you are out there alone, but you're never alone because it's definitely a very close knit community. So I, I like that aspect of it too. And I think that you're absolutely right. Up. You're absolutely right. Don't you think that is a huge um, sort of source of encouragement for like anyone, everybody. And that's why it's so inspiring even just to see people posting on Instagram, what their miles were that day. If you didn't feel like going out and you're like, well, damn, that guy went out. I can go out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just a great feeling to know that there's all these people out there that are, rooting for you that you don't even know it's actually a really powerful thing but the I, thing I'm sorry. I'll, jump, I'll jump in there Liz because I completely agree with you because I I run super early in the morning just because of my family situation it's like I got two little kids bumping around so I'm usually out the door by around 425 to 430 in the morning so oh like, my god that's so, terrible <laughs> well well for me so for me it is very individualistic but you're absolutely right because I've had if you, anyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows that any, every single person who's come on has talked about the communal aspect of running and how it's helped them. I know science has backed that up as well. And frankly, I had my, my run this year with another person just this weekend with a, a good friend of mine, Maurice Lohman, who I got to actually know through the Instagram community, who was uh, on episode 12 of this podcast. And I swear it was my best run of the year. It just, we ran 13 miles, it flew by, and it was because I was talking to someone the whole time as opposed to having headphones in or whatever. And you're right, like, the, that communal aspect, never mind just the, the virtual community that you can create during, you know, using different forums. Yeah. Is that Marathon Maurice? I think I follow him as well. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yes, it is. He looks like a cool dude. I, I think he'd be good to run with. Looks like you guys would probably have a great conversation while you're running. That you're exactly right. It was. <laughs> it's so funny. I don't know. That's what I mean. Like, I I'm sitting here out feeling all happy talking about this dude that I have no clue who he is. But that's what I mean by like rooting for people that you don't even know just because they're a runner and I don't know they get it. Um, there's a short chapter in my book Finish Line Feeling that has to do with that aspect of it and just like how I you know I would. I had this group of moms or, you know, friends of mine who we would run in the morning together because of what you just said. Now my kids are, you know, 19 and 17 years old, so they don't need me quite as much anymore, at least not at 430 in the morning. <laughs> they don't get up until, you know, whatever. They don't have to. But um, we would run together and it, you'd go in there, um, maybe showing up, not wanting to be there because it was so early. Maybe it was cold. Maybe you had so much going on, whether it's Christmas or stress, or it could be death in the family, divorces, everything. We would solve like, quote unquote, the world's problems in that hour that we would just get our run in, you know, bang it out, talk the whole time. And you'd feel like it was the moving 
therapy instead of sitting in an office. It was a moving therapy session. It was amazing. Like the things that you could feel you solved and worked through just because you were running with somebody in the dark and talking the whole time. It was pretty cool. So you probably want to run with people more often, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get me. I'll get some people on the phone. I'll run with the phone to my ear or something. I don't think I'm going to get anyone waking up with me, but we'll, uh, I'll oh, figure that one out. <laughs> That's ungodly. But anyway, to come back to your question, which I think was what was the tipping point of achievement that sort yeah. of made me want to keep doing this crazy stuff. Um, it would definitely have to be that first Ironman I did. It was in 1995 and, um, my dad was really ill at the time and was in the hospital. And um, back in the 80s, I don't know if you remember when, like, Iron Man sort of first started to even be a thing. And they um, they were televising it on um, Wide World of Sports and all this stuff. And there was a pro triathlete. And I remember in the, in the 80s, um, I saw it on TV. And I told my dad, I'm going to do that someday. And he sort of laughed, like, okay, you know, like, whatever. I don't know what the hell you, you've been smoking, kid, but whatever. Like, he didn't discourage me, but he sort of was like, yeah, you keep, you know, good good for you. Like, didn't want to squash my dreams, but really wasn't, like, you know, thinking that I could ever do it. Um, so when he said that, and then I remember <laughs> this poor woman, um, her last name is Moss. And yes, Julie Moss. Yes, and she... <laughs> She was like the girlfriend of Mark, um, I don't know, one of the pro triathletes at the time. And she was like the first one. Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark Allen. Yeah, Mark Allen. Thank you. And are you, you follow triathlon? That's cool. Are you my, my I'm not. My, 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 favorite, like my favorite book of all time is Iron War by Matt Fitzgerald. And it details the race between Dave, the, the kind of like the, the rivalry between Dave Scott and yeah. Mark Allen. And that actually, was, and actually, the the writer of that, yeah, the writer of that book is Matt Fitzgerald, who's like a best-selling author. He's actually, I'm interviewing for this podcast. I'm interviewing him in two days. So oh, we're so, exciting. Yeah. So so I've listened to that book. I've I've read it and I've listened to it on Audible. I think two dozen times. So I've got all the names down at this point. Oh my god! I was wondering how you were getting because I mean I used to follow them like because that was a really interesting rivalry and then the different things that they would do to prepare and just all these, you know, mentally and all that stuff. But anyways, his wife or girlfriend, whatever she was at the time was the first woman basically to do it. And she won it. And she, all these years later, the only thing that most people know her as is, Oh, that chick that shit herself at the finish line. Right, <laughs> right, right. Nobody knows her for like the amazing accomplishment of, you know, just sort of almost like being a pioneer for, for females in the sport. But, oh yeah, she's the one that shit her pants. And I was the, I was a kid and I was like, oh man, that looks like a party to me. Anybody, anything that's like so hard, it makes you shit yourself. I'm all about it. I've got to do that one day. So, um, Liz, I think that's, I think that's the best quote I've had so far on the rambling runner podcast. I'm going to have to block that out <laughs> because I said shit. No, just like anyway, if, if something, I think you said, if something is so hard that you have to shit yourself, I'm in, I'm in, <laughs> I, I gotta be all about that. I mean, come on, who doesn't want to do something like that is going to make them crap their pants. So anyway, um, all the years later, my dad's in the hospital and I actually completed, you know, the first, the Iron Man that I told him all those years ago that I was going to do. And he, he was sort of like, whatever. And he was so proud. 
and he just couldn't even believe it. He said, I, I didn't think that I would ever meet anyone who would ever be able to do something like that. And my own daughter did it. And then my dad like ended up passing away fairly recently after that. But it was just the catalyst to, holy shit, I did something that I thought most people would think was like the hardest thing to do. And I did it and it was hard and I had a hard time out there because I overhydrated. I mean, so much stuff goes into it when you're out there, but, um, I just thought, well, and people told me I wasn't going to be able to do it because I hadn't had sort of that background that most people build up to that distance, you know, by doing halves and maybe a few <laughs> Olympic distance. And I'm like, Oh, I'll just do the Ironman. They're like, oh, okay. But I, I definitely would have to say that that was the one. It meant a lot to me um, from a mental and emotional standpoint of, you know, being afraid and doing it anyway. Um, and then, of course, the part about my dad. So it was it was pretty meaningful. Absolutely. And I can see not only just the emotional connection in that moment. I mean, you, that, that it really is, is a beautiful story the way you just presented it. But also it sounds as if it went from something that a personal accomplishment that you're trying to do. And as you're grappling with, you know, the different things in your own mind that you're, you know, trying to not just escape your past, but conquer it and move on to bigger and better things. But the shift to then at that point, almost be doing something that's inspirational for others, which is a whole different genre of achievement. Yeah. And there's a time in your life where you feel like, well, I can't even, I'm, I don't know if I can even function. I can't inspire myself. How am I going to inspire others? But when you discover what it is and you tap into it, you dig down and find that strength deep down inside of you that you didn't think you had. And you're like, well, now I'm, I have to share it with other people. I mean, it would be wrong not to. So, right. Cool. And that, and that's a great time. So, all right. So what was the genesis of girls with soul again, that's girls with soul S O L E. Um, but obviously <laughs> it's a play on words. Um, so for you, from the genesis of not only the, from like when from like the idea to actually the germination of the organization. Um, yeah, well, clearly the idea came organically from my own experiences. And then, um, then I, I had a few jobs. I had many jobs in my life, um, almost 49 years old, but, um, working in the nonprofit sector was something I really, really wanted to do. It's just something I'm really passionate about helping other people, um, especially kids, and I had a few jobs that were relevant to that, but not, I just never felt completely fulfilled. It wasn't what I wanted exactly. And I had the opportunity in between positions where I thought, you know what, I don't, what is wrong with me? Why am I not putting together the two things that I am the most passionate about and the thing that actually saved my life and creating a program where I can bring this to kids who wouldn't put it together on their own. So i decided I was going to do it. And it was, again, once one of those things that I threw out there, I'm like, I'm going to do this. And people were like, Oh my God, she is there. She goes again, you know, whatever. Um, but I was so used to people reacting to things that come out of my mouth like that, that it didn't even phase me. So I just decided to ask a few people if they would be on my board and it just snowballed from there. And we, I hit the ground running and I haven't stopped since like literally, um, it was eight years ago. And, um, I initially, uh, you know, it was definitely an organic, uh, development of how programming was going to work. 
because I was sort of naive at first that, you know, kids in um, maybe the population that I'm serving would be able to just show up places. They, they can't do that. I mean, how are they going to get there? How would I identify them? All of these things. But um, it was pretty amazing. It was all meant to be because um, I sort of started going to different coalition meetings and um, maybe places where uh, social workers were getting their continuing education credits, um, places with teachers or guidance counselors, anything that had to do with, you know, trauma and kids and maybe foster care and all different aspects of what I was going to be doing. And um, it was kind of like I was that old school. Remember those old, old movies um, where the dude would be like on the dock down by the old shipping yard and he'd have like the trench coat on and he would like open the trench coat and say, hey, man, do you want to buy a watch? You know? Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) That was was me. I was hanging around all these places and I'd be like, hey, I got programs. You need a program? (laughs) And they were just like, who is this person? You know? And then before I knew it, instead of me being the crazy person trying to get people to pay attention to the programs that I had, that I had, but they weren't anything yet because I wasn't actually physically doing anything yet. This was brand new from scratch, like as grassroots as you can get, because there was no program Um, to now people coming to me. And I unfortunately have to you know, say I can't do them all because I, you know, there's only so many that I'm able to do on my own and I'm still a one person show. So that's kind of how it all grew. And I'm in, I'm working with program partnerships in um, residential treatment centers. I've worked in hospitals, schools, churches, you name it. I've done it and I don't, have to do the trench coat thing anymore, which probably started to sound like I was a flasher. Um, so let's, you know, make sure we're, we're not misconstruing what I'm doing with my trench coat. But um, yeah, so I definitely don't need to sell the program. There's, um, I was on the Today Show actually a number of years ago. I think it's been like four years now. Um, and I remember before the show even ended, the segment ended, I had probably 500 emails from across the country of people wanting Girls with Soul programs. And I remember people saying, oh, my God, you were on the Today Show. Did you get, like, so much money and donations? I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, no, we didn't. But, you know, what we got was the validation of how much this is needed and how truly crucial it is. I mean, I can't even tell you how many people are like, we need it. And I'm like, yeah, I know you do, sweetie. I'd love to bring it to you, but we're not there yet. But we will be. And I'm definitely optimistic. So. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, as someone who has you know seen the benefit of running not only in my own life, but people who I know and love and people who have gotten to know over time. I mean, it's anyone who's, who's, who knows this sport knows the power of it. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so it's, it's so interesting, especially for someone who's, you know, trying to work with these groups. And as you put on your website, um, people who are either at risk, who have experienced abuse, because and it was, I think it was a different interview you did. You mentioned how, like, it was so hard to get started because, like, you know, just like the idea of, like, who's going to self-select to be in that group? Yeah, that was a big one that a lot of people came to me and said, no one's going to want to be in the abused girls um, club or something. I mean, they, they phrased it in a very um, brash way. Um, and I was like, that isn't what it is. And number, that's number two, number one, 
that's the stigma that we're overcoming. It right. isn't use girls club. It's an empowerment um, and resilience and just optimism and the energy and all the positive things that you get from, you know, the physical accomplishment and from moving your body and sweating. I mean, it's like sweat is freaking magic. <laughs> you know, talk about being able to bottle something, not that anybody would buy somebody else's sweat, but that's <laughs> that feeling of like washing away all the cobwebs off of your heart and off your brain, you know, it's just, that's a magical thing. Now, when you're talking about your organization to someone who might not know much about it, is there a go-to story in terms of the impact that it's had on somebody that you no. like to share? Um, yeah, well, I have so many of them lately um, because now that we're getting a little bit uh, older in terms of how many years we, I've been doing it, I have more and more girls who are now, you know, graduating college and have, getting jobs and just doing well, you know, where they were on suicide watch when I first started with them. So um, I think the my go-to story would probably be um, Olivia. She's um, 15 and unfortunately has been raped twice and also, her brother was killed um, in a gang-related incident, and the girl has seen so much trauma that just at that age, she shouldn't have, have half of what she's experienced, you know, happen to her, but she has. And she, um, I was working with the um, YWCA, actually, in a an area in Cleveland, and she came but didn't want to participate. So I always know the ones who don't want to do anything at all, but they're there, they're there for a reason. And the more that they sort of resist, the further they need to come, <laughs> the further they, the more, the more they resist, the more they need it. So she didn't want to participate. And then um, it went from not doing anything at all to not wanting to be part of it, to disclosing all the things that had happened to her, to me in only like the fourth session um and now she's um she's just like amazing we do the girls of soul creed before every session and she says she lives by it and so she actually photocopied the creed and the creed is just something that like we do before we get started to keep us you know as a belief system like all together on one page and just a good way to get them started on the right foot but it just goes we're girls with soul and we're on the move we're strong and proud you can't stop our groove we know who we are and who we want to be we sail through life with resiliency at girls with soul we set goals and believe if we keep lacing up we will always achieve so she photocopied it and she put it on her back door and she taped it there so that her and her little sister would say it every morning before they left for school and um she, whenever she feels like she's going to mess up, she goes either for a run or down into the basement and punches a punching bag with boxing gloves. And um, now she's um, um, graduating soon and, from high school, but she's straight A's. She never misses school anymore. She used to have a problem with that. Um, actually was kicked out of a school at one point and is just come so far and now she brings other people into the program and also comes to races and helps other kids and just is just like I don't know she I can't even express like how far she's come and it just sometimes kills me because she's such a great kid and I think a lot of people give up on these kids 
like I said, you know, the abused girls club or whatever, they, they think that these kids are a lost cause and they're causing trouble and they're doing this and they're doing that because they're bad. And I was that kid. And it's not because they're bad. It's because bad things have happened to them and somebody needs to just show them a positive place to put the negative energy and they could go so far. These are great kids. So I would definitely say she's one of my favorite stories. That really is amazing. I mean, that just, that story took my breath away listening to you say that. And, and it made me think of how you finished it that you gave in an interview where you said that 50% of women in prison were sexually abused when they were younger. And I mean, yeah, that, 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 that's how that's much a, higher it probably is because they're not all reported. Right. And that, that's, that not only is that a crazy stat, but I mean, the, the organization that you're in, you work with kids, you work with um, young adults who are basically aged nine to 18, right? So for you, do you feel like that's a critical period in terms of if you catch them in that age bracket, you can turn things around a little bit easier than maybe later in life? Exactly. And that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Cause it's much easier to fix it now than to have an adult who's hooked on drugs or in jail or whatever, um, trying to, you know, go back and, and fix something that could have been managed beforehand. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Liz, you're doing amazing things. Girls with soul is just an, an incredible organization. Um, in terms of a website, it's girls with soul. That's S O L E. This will be in the show notes dot org they can follow you on instagram again girls with soul and you know we're recording this uh near the end of december we're going to release this podcast before december 31st and anyone who um philanthropic background or who loves to give to organizations may know that you know the end of the tax year is a great time to donate because that's when you kind of reset the clock so hopefully if you're listening to this podcast i hope that you'll donate to this organization you can do so on their website, girlswithsoul.org. The donate button is up at the top of the page. Um, Liz, I'll be doing that. I'm going to do $50 a month to your organization. Oh, I think you guys are doing just uh, just amazing things. And we, before we start recording, you said that you don't even take a salary. You do this purely um, you know, to, to, to do everything you can for these kids. Obviously, we'd love to get your organization to the point where you can get more people on staff and really and really do more and more for the people who need it, because uh, there's a big cohort of people who, like you said, would love to work with your organization. Hopefully we can help you guys get there. That's amazing. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for everything you do, Liz. You're an inspiration, and um, so are the girls that you're working with. So thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good rest of your night. <laughs> you too. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. All right. Likewise. Bye.